Figgy Goddess and welcome to the My Figgy Life podcast. Today we are splitting this episode into two parts because there is just so much information to cover about narcissists and narcissistic abuse. So please stay tuned next week as well to hear the second part of our episode with Chelsea Brooke Cole. Good morning, Figgy Goddess, and welcome to the My Figgy Life podcast. Today, we are talking about narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and narcissistic behavior. This has been such a huge and fundamental part of my story, and I know for many of you as well. So today, we are talking to a licensed psychotherapist, author, speaker, and coach specializing in narcissistic abuse and helping introverts and empaths thrive. So be sure to stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Welcome, goddess, to your sacred space. This is my Figgy Life podcast, where we openly discuss life's wins and losses on our journeys to self-discovery. This is your best life. This is your Figgy Life. And now, here is your host, Jean. Welcome back, Figgy Goddess, to this really special episode where we will be discussing narcissism. Our guest today is Chelsea Brooke Cole. She is an internationally recognized psychotherapist, certified partner trauma therapist, registered play therapist, speaker, author, and coach specializing in narcissistic abuse and relational trauma, as well as topics like anxiety, infidelity, CPTSD, emotional abuse, post-traumatic relationship syndrome, and healthy strategies for introverts and empaths. She takes a very collaborative and compassionate approach to the counseling process because she's seen that the most important part to healing is experiencing a safe and supportive relationship. Welcome to the My Figgy Life podcast. I'm so excited about these topics and discussing with you more. So I'm ready to dive in. Let's dive in. And I think before we can get into the depth of the conversation, it's really important for us to ask you the question, what is a narcissist? Because, you know, in this kind of culture that we live in and all these true crime documentaries and everything we hear in society, it feels like that word is thrown out there quite a lot. So can you just clarify for us, what are we talking about when we're talking about a narcissist? Absolutely. And it is really important to start there because to your point, narcissism is talked about so much more today. We hear terms like narcissism, gaslighting, narcissistic abuse. And unfortunately, sometimes because we hear it so much, the term becomes watered down. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about it and really defining it. So first of all, narcissism is a personality trait that exists on a spectrum. So you can be a little narcissistic to highly narcissistic. At the low end of the scale, you can think of the entitled know-it-all at the dinner party. And at the high end of the scale, you can think of a malignant narcissist, which is basically a cousin to the psychopath. Now, narcissism as a personality trait includes things like grandiosity, superficiality, superiority, entitlement, interpersonal exploitativeness, and a lack of empathy. So grandiosity. Narcissists live in this distorted reality, believing they are exceptionally unique and special. They have these self-glorifying fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, and attractiveness. They also tend to be quite superficial. They focus on what things look like. They focus on 
being charming, charismatic, and their relationships tend to be quite superficial as well. So a narcissist cares about what you have, what you look like, what you do, how they can benefit from you. They don't really care about you as a person. They also have an incredible sense of superiority, that sense of being better than others, and they're very entitled. This means they believe they deserve special treatment, not because they've done anything special, because they've earned something, simply because they exist. This also means they think the rules don't apply to them. So they apply to you, but the narcissist should always be the exception. They should always be given preferential treatment. They're also incredibly interpersonally exploitative. Narcissists see people as pawns. They kind of use people as pawns to get what they want. So they will lie to you, charm you, manipulate you, all depends on what they need from you at the time. I often describe it like narcissists treat people like a healthy person treats products. For example, me and my coffee maker have a great relationship. I get up in the morning, it makes me coffee, it serves the function I want it to in my life, we're good. If, however, I got up in the morning and my coffee maker stopped working, I wouldn't be very happy about that. I would think, you know, this really isn't working out. I would probably throw it out and get a new one. And that is how narcissists treat people. Finally, the hallmark trait of narcissism is a lack of empathy. Narcissists simply don't care how their behaviors impact you. And if you share your emotions with them, they will likely be kind of annoyed or disgusted that you're doing so. That's a key one for me because I vividly recall the amount of times in my life that I've gone, but why? I just don't understand why would they do this? How could they do this? So are you saying that being a narcissist or narcissism is a diagnosable personality trait? There is a difference between narcissistic personality disorder and trait narcissism. So in order for someone to be diagnosed, to say that they have narcissistic personality disorder, a few things have to happen. They have to meet five of the nine criteria as listed in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, what all mental emotional disorders are based from. And, and it covers much of the same things we just talked about, grandiosity, superficiality, interpersonal exploitativeness. It has to be a pervasive pattern, meaning it has to show up in most every area of their life. We wouldn't call someone an introvert just because they stayed in on a Friday night. We can't call someone a narcissist just because they acted defensively once in the last six months. So it has to be that pervasive pattern. And a couple other things have to happen for someone to be diagnosed. You have to be diagnosed by a mental health professional. And let's be honest, narcissists are not going to therapy. So... <laughs> Even <laughs> but they will tell you to go to therapy. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you always need therapy and they don't. So it has to be diagnosed by a mental health professional and it has to create subjective distress or impairment in their life. So essentially, if a narcissist traits are working for them, they do what they want, when they want, how they want. They're very successful. For all intents and purposes, their life is going well. We might not necessarily be able to diagnose them with NPD, even if they are highly narcissistic, if there's not that subjective distress or impairment in their life. And that just goes for all personality disorders. There has to be pervasive pattern and subjective distress or impairment. So some people really advocate for removing NPD as a diagnosis altogether because someone can be highly narcissistic and exploitative and grandiose not necessarily meet criteria if they don't have that subjective distress. And it just confuses people because that's one of the, the pushback that I hear a lot is like, well, we shouldn't be diagnosing someone by calling them a narcissist, but we're not because narcissism is, or calling someone a narcissist is a descriptive term, not a diagnosis. It's like saying someone is agreeable or extroverted or introverted or conscientious. So what I really focus on when I'm talking to people and when I'm explaining narcissistic abuse is I'm talking about people 
who are mid to high in the trait of narcissism and have all of those qualities that I was talking about previously. It does get a little bit confusing because we, the listeners, we are not trained medical professionals or, or psychologists or psychiatrists. But unfortunately, you do sometimes have interactions with these individuals in your life. And I'm just really pro not putting labels to people if this is not the actual case. So to understand exactly what it is and what it is not is really important, I think, for taking our conversation further. You noted that there are different types of narcissists. You said that there is a scale. It seems that many of us, or let's take me for example, have dealt with this kind of narcissistic behavior and abuse a lot in your very close interpersonal relationships. So this could be something like toxic parents or abusive parents or family members or loved ones, maybe even a spouse. What kinds of narcissists do you think, or in your experience, you see mostly relate to these really, really close familial or love relationship, interpersonal relationships? Yeah. So in my book, I actually break down six different types of narcissists. Some people say there are more types. In the literature, we can definitely see reason to believe there are at least six kind of different identifiable types of narcissists. So The first one is a grandiose narcissist, and that's what most people think of when they hear the term narcissist. They tend to be charming, charismatic, extroverted. They do come across as pretty arrogant and entitled. For some people, they feel very drawn into this person because they do have this charisma. They can be a very likable person. They tend to be extroverted and pretty socially adept. If you have a more sensitive temperament, you might kind of feel like a grandiose narcissist is too much. You might be kind of put off, like this is this person is just too much. So that's what most people think of when they hear the term narcissist. And examples of a grandiose narcissist can be your know-it-all coworker who really does more talking than working, but they want to look like the go-to person. Or your charming boss who throws really lavish holiday parties, but the rest of the year doesn't have time to be bothered with your requests. Or your partner, who is really concerned about their own interests and has minimal interest in things that aren't about them. They just seem pretty selfish and inconsiderate. Now, another narcissist that we're hearing more about is the vulnerable narcissist. This is often called a covert or victimized narcissist. If you're scrolling social media or you're looking through articles, you will likely see a vulnerable narcissist referred to as covert. And that's because they have all the narcissistic traits, entitlement, grandiosity, superficiality. They just aren't as obvious as with the grandiose narcissist. So let me explain. They typically come in one of two presentations, depending on what serves them best at the time. They have a victimized persona or a very, what I call, nice guy, sweet girl persona. From the victimized persona, they come across as sullen, withdrawn, kind of down on their luck. They talk about past situations in which they portray themselves as having been taken advantage of, used, even abused. Vulnerable narcissists look depressed, and initially that's what a lot of people, even therapists, will treat vulnerable narcissists for is depression because that's really what it looks like. But the difference is that with genuine depression, with appropriate treatment, medication, therapy, we can see a decrease in depressive symptoms. It can get better. But with a vulnerable narcissist, what looks like depression never really gets better. The other thing to note about a vulnerable narcissist is how they gain supply. So grandiose narcissists look for supply 
by getting feedback that they're productive and successful and great, like they want all this praise and adoration. Vulnerable narcissists, we feel drawn in to help them. And this is how vulnerable narcissists get supply. They feel entitled to your help, your time, your resources, your money, whatever you're willing to give them. And they will guilt you if you try to set boundaries or walk away. So those are those are two types. We can keep going if you want me to. Do you think these are the two types that you would see most within these mm -hmm. really close relationships? So you can really see any type of narcissist in any relationship. Grandiose, vulnerable narcissist. There's also neglectful, communal, malignant narcissist, wow. self-righteous narcissist. Yeah, there's there's more. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's really, it's it's a super complicated thing to kind of understand yeah. and get a grasp and a hold of. Do you think that the word narcissist is being overused in our society? I think we went from narcissist being this, what people thought happened in dark corners and like no one ever really was dealing with a narcissist and it was a really um, rare thing to a complete overgeneralization of narcissists. Because at this point, if someone doesn't agree with you, then we hear people saying, well, you're gaslighting me. Or if you just, or you're sharing about your accomplishments, there's a joke like, well, you're being so narcissistic. So I do think in a lot of ways, the overuse and misuse of mental health concepts like narcissism and gaslighting is honestly a real slap in the face to real survivors. Because if everyone is a narcissist, then no one is a victim to it. And that's just simply not true. That's a really difficult thing to articulate and verbalize, especially if you are on the kind of victim spectrum. For example, I get so frustrated. My husband is a wonderful support system to me. And, and we've spoken about this so many times. It's just an example, you know, as I mentioned, I have panic disorder and the word anxiety has become so overused in society, you know, like, oh, I'm anxious or today I have so much anxiety. And there are so many jokes about it on social media and Instagram, like, oh, I have such anxiety. But to us, anxiety is actually a code word for I'm, pre I'm pre panic attack. Generalizing that concept like that, it, it really makes it so difficult for people who really suffer from it to try and explain what it is that you go through when this happens. And I feel like it's the same with people that have suffered through narcissistic abuse that really do have narcissists in their life. It makes it really difficult. A big part of that is how cunning they are at manipulation, emotional manipulation and psychological manipulation. Unfortunately, yes, I'm going to use the word gaslighting because you start to really doubt your own reality. You start to doubt that, did I really experience it that way? No, maybe, maybe she didn't say it that way or maybe it didn't really happen that way. And they will reinforce that to you to say that, you remember it incorrectly or, or you've said it incorrectly. Can you just take us through that a little bit and how to deal with that? And most importantly, how to recognize that this is happening? Yeah, gaslighting is, you know, one of those terms we're talking about that's overused, but it's absolutely happening. And all narcissists gaslight. So all narcissists are gaslighters. Not all gaslighters are narcissists. The important thing to realize about gaslighting is, first of all, when you're being gaslighted, you do have this sense like you're going crazy. You start second guessing 
doubting your own reality. You kind of feel like you and this other person are living in two different realities and you start to feel like you need to or you do start writing things down just to make sure you are remembering things correctly because you will doubt your memory, your abilities, just your general mental sanity. And gaslighting is a process. It's not something that happens one time. So first of all, in order for gaslighting to happen, there has to be some sense of trust or relationship, familiarity with this person. If you meet a total new person or a stranger and they say, well, this guy is purple and you're like, it's clearly blue. This person can't really effectively gaslight you because there's no relationship there. There's no familiarity. You have no sense of trust with this person. And so we can really compare that to the beginning of the narcissistic cycle of abuse, which is the idealize or love bomb phase. That is where a narcissist is getting to know you. They learn about your strengths, your weaknesses, your insecurities, your vulnerabilities, your backstory. And a lot of narcissists mirror that back to you and learn about you in order to more effectively manipulate you. So what they're doing in the beginning of their cycle of abuse really matches the gaslighting process as well. The second step to gaslighting is there is a denial of reality. There is a lying that is happening. A, a narcissist, a gaslighter will deny things that they said that they did. They'll deny things you said that you did, things you agreed on. They'll kind of rewrite history. Like if you remember coming to a certain agreement or solution or just how something went in your family and you share that with a gaslighter, they will say, that didn't happen. Like, that is not how this was. You're completely misremembering that. You're making things up. You're being so overdramatic or sensitive. So there's that denial of your reality, like you're saying. And the last phase of gaslighting is they take it to the next level, not only by denying your reality, but calling you crazy or saying there's something wrong with you. You've really experienced this if you've ever taken painstaking steps to collect proof or evidence for a narcissist and decide, you know what? I am going to record everything. I'm going to write down everything. I'm going to bring up these text messages where we agreed on exactly what time and what place and where we were meeting and prove to them that they knew this and they can't deny it. And you'll present it to the narcissist thinking, okay, this is it. We're finally going to address this issue. Things are going to make sense. Because if I have proof, they're not going to deny that. I mean, clearly it's written out in this text message or this email or this recording. If you present a narcissist with proof, they will not only double down on the lie, but they will say how crazy you are. They will say things like, are you serious? You documented all this? What is wrong with you? And so that's the final level of what really makes something gaslighting. And it's a process, as you can see, like this isn't something that can be done in a single meeting or in a single day. It's something that slowly tears you down over time. Just as you're explaining this and as you're saying what happens, I'm so anxious, I can feel my mind spinning because it's just that kind of habitual place you go back to like, oh my gosh, yeah, did I, did I write that down? Did I say that? And it is so true. It's so destructive when it happens. So what can we do if you're in a relationship like that, if you find yourself in a position like that, what can you do to not doubt your reality, but also to have faith in yourself and in the decisions that you make that how you perceived something is what matters, not always exactly what was said or exactly how it happened. That too is definitely a process. And I think the first step in that 
is recognizing what you're experiencing. Because if you don't yet realize you're dealing with a gaslighter or a narcissist, then in your mind, you think there's a solution. You think, oh, we're just not communicating. I see a lot of people get confused because there's a, not that these are bad, but they're not helpful in toxic relationships. So much talk about attachment styles, communication strategies, uh, the love languages. People are like, oh, we just have different love language, we, love languages. We just communicate in a different way. And that's why we're experiencing this. So people work really hard to try to explain themselves. So the first thing you really have to realize is that this is happening. So I encourage people, well, there's something called the deep technique that Dr. Romney talks about. She's great into talking about narcissism and narcissistic abuse. She says, don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, and don't personalize. So when you're first having the sense that you're being gaslighted, you want to essentially stop engaging, stop trying to over-explain yourself because that's when you're getting sucked in, right? That's when the narcissist, you're really giving them more power because you're like, no, this is it. Like, no, that's not what we agreed on. Or no, that's not what I meant. They don't care. They don't care what you meant. They don't care what was said. Reality doesn't matter to them. So the first thing you have to do, stop engaging, stop personalizing. There's something else called gray rock that a lot of people talk about where essentially you become as interesting to the narcissist as a literal gray rock. You stop engaging with them. Your responses become very minimal, kind of muted. You might still be cordial, like, okay, thank you. Okay, yeah, have a good day. But you avoid those deeper conversations. So you're not allowing the narcissist even the same opportunity to gaslight you because you're so you're focusing on surface conversations. You're talking about the weather, you're talking about maybe things that need to be done for the kids, family events or like dates coming up. You're not telling them about your highs, your lows, you're not telling them about your day, you're not sharing your secrets or your dreams, or your hopes, or your fears, that's another part you really have to work on is not giving the narcissist anything to work with. So again, that's a process too. That's so difficult because I think it's human nature to want to defend mm -hmm. yourself when something is, especially when you're in the cycle where you're thinking, no, but I have to prove, I have to prove that this happened. And then your immediate first response is to then start giving the proof or defending yourself Thank you so much for listening and please remember to join us next week when we discuss doubting your own reality as something that often happens for victims of narcissistic abuse, going into more detail about setting boundaries with narcissists and if it's even possible to do so. We also talk about Chelsea Brooke Cole's book and what we can expect and what help and guidance we can expect to find from her book, If Only I Had Known. So please stay tuned for next week's episode. We'll see you again soon.